The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 423. Hi, I'm Brad Lominick, author of H3 Leadership, Be Humble, Stay Hungry, Always Hustle. I listened to a few episodes and didn't die. You probably won't either. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Helping people develop their potential, enabling them to articulate and become the self they want to be, are capable of being, and that best serves them and others in the short and long term, is what we as individuals and leaders strive toward. But how do we grow? It turns out it happens in a predictable way, which means we can understand where we are in our growth and chart a way forward. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. My guest today is Whitney Johnson. Her new book, which came out in January on my birthday, happy birthday to me, is called Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. I'll be asking Whitney to share about the S-curve of learning, what it means to be a collector in this context, and why it's important to collect the way a child does, how competence, autonomy, and relatedness play a role in motivating us to grow and building confidence that we can, and much more. I mentioned last week that coming up in June and July, I'm conducting a note-taking mastery cohort five Tuesdays, four in June, one in July, to walk a small group of people through the process of learning how to better capture, organize, distill, and express the notes you take. At the time this episode is being published, there may still be a chance that there's an opening or two to be a founding member of this cohort, the first ever group. There are only a maximum of 20 seats available. If you'd like to score one at half price, that's right, it's 50% off for founding members only and be a part of this note-taking mastery cohort, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash cohort to find out more information. And if that's not enough, you can hit me up at jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com should you have any questions. If you consume awesome content like, say, this podcast or some of the books that I feature here, and then you find that you really don't do anything with the notes you take, you're not alone. In fact, you're in the overwhelming majority. A lot of notes being taken on a lot of great content and nothing ever happening with those notes. If you want to change that for yourself and for your career and for your life and for your output, that's what this cohort is designed to help you do, to finally make good on those notes that you store, that you keep, that you want to do something with that sometimes you can't even find because you can't remember where you put them. And if you do find them, you don't know why you took them because there's no context around them. We'll fix all that in this note-taking mastery cohort. Again, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash cohort to find out if any spots are remaining. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash cohort. Whitney Johnson is the CEO of Disruption Advisors, a tech-enabled talent development company and an Inc. 5000 2020 honoree. She's one of the top 10 business thinkers in the world for 2021, according to Thinkers 50, a popular lecturer for Harvard's corporate learning, 
She has almost 2 million followers on LinkedIn and is host of the Disrupt Yourself podcast. Her latest book, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, is called Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. Well, Whitney, it is a delight to have you. Uh, your first visit, maybe not your last, on the Read to Lead podcast. Welcome and thanks for being here. Jeff, thank you for having me. Well, I want to start by turning back the clock a few years and get a bit of your background. And this not being your first book, there's been several of the events that led to, to writing that first book. My first book was Disrupt Yourself. Actually, my first book in this series was Disrupt Yourself. My mm-hmm. book prior to that was Dare, Dream, Do. For this series, we'll talk about Disrupt Yourself. And uh, what led to my writing this book was me disrupting myself, although I had no idea what disruption was back in the early, um, (laughs) late 80s, early 90s. I started on Wall Street um, straight out of college. I had majored in music. My husband and I had gone to New York. He was getting his PhD at Columbia and someone needed to put food on the table. And it turns out that person was me, but I had a music degree. So I started working on Wall Street for a stockbroker as a, as a secretary and didn't really know what Wall Street was at the time, but started to go to work every day and was listening to these people who wanted to become stockbrokers trying to open up these accounts. And they would say things like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this is a great investment or throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. And um, early on, I was rather offended by that one because I had been a cheerleader in high Mm, school. mm. But after listening to them say that over and over again, I thought I need to throw down my (laughs) pom-poms. And so I started taking business courses at night, accounting, finance, economics. I had a boss who believed in me, which allowed me to move from being a secretary to an investment banker. Mm. And I would not have known to call it this then, but that was really the beginning of me disrupting myself. So, so that's the beginning of the journey. Over then the subsequent years, I was in investment banking, then moved to equity research. In that particular instance, I was disrupted. I was moved into equity research or shoved, as I like to gently say. Um, but that turned out to be a career maker for me. I was very good at picking stocks. I then discovered the innovator's dilemma, the term disruptive innovation by Clayton Christensen, which helped me realize, oh, this is what's going on in the emerging markets. Wireless is disrupting wireline. And then had the big aha that disruption wasn't just about products and services and companies and countries. It was also about people that we as individuals can disrupt ourselves and that the fundamental unit of growth in any organization is the individual, but it's starts with that disruption. And so that became the genesis for the book and the the Harvard Business Review article I wrote in 2012 titled Disrupt Yourself and applying this framework and theory of disruption to the individual. You got a chance to study with Christensen, did you not? I did. I did. I had the tremendous privilege of, I worked with him initially on a a nonprofit um, organization at church. Okay. And, um, and that, in, that itself is disruptive because um, there were all sorts of people who were straight out of Harvard Business School, and I was not straight out of Harvard Business School. I was working with him on these nonprofit, silly little projects, as, as one would say, to describe disruption. But he saw that I was capable, and I had been an equity analyst, but then he invited me to co-found the Disruptive Innovation Fund with him and with his son. And so I had 
the privilege of working very closely with him for the better part of a decade. Tell me more about your your music degree. I, I was a music education major in college initially myself, so that that intrigues me a little bit. Tell me about that. You were okay. All right. So yeah, I um, I studied piano growing up. Okay. And I, in, in classical piano, when I was eight, I wanted to be a concert pianist because all eight-year-olds want to be concert pianists. <laughs> I had gone to hear Van Cliburn play. He had just won uh, an, a, a huge competition. And um, so I studied music all through high school. And then I got to college. And in some respects, music had become my mom's dream, less of my dream. And so mm. I did major in music, but I also discovered something called jazz. Um, which I loved. And I didn't end up pursuing that, obviously, professionally, but I studied piano and um, actually, like I said, majored in music. So I'm actually, there's a great story here, which is I left music for a very long time. But as sometimes happens, we get a little bit older, I find myself coming back to music and, and um, playing the piano a little bit every day and also starting to learn how to sing. Oh, wow. Cool. I played the French horn. Unfortunately, oh. when you when you walk away from that for 20 years, it's kind of hard to go back and pick it right back up again. <laughs> so I won't be doing that anytime soon. But I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed my time with the instrument while I while I had it. Um, I want to dig into your Wall Street Journal bestselling book, uh, Smart Growth. Now, for the sake of context, uh, give us a brief overview of the S curve of learning. What is that all about? All right. Context. I'm now working with Clayton and we are investing and we're using the S-curve for our investing. Mm. This was popularized by Everett Rogers, the sociologist back in the 60s. Mm And he used it to look at how groups change over time, how ideas are adopted, and he discovered that they're adopted in the shape of an S. And we were using it in our investing to look at how quickly an innovation would be adopted. Well, I've had the aha that disruption isn't just about products and services. It's also about people. It's not too far of a leap for me to say, hmm, I wonder if the S-curve can help us understand how people grow, how how individuals change over time. Mm. And so I started playing with this idea, and this is about 10 years ago. I said, I think we can use this S-curve to understand what growth looks like to trace the emotional arc of growth. And that set me on this journey now over the last 10 years to really think about how do we use this to look at how people, individuals change over time? And how can we use this as a model to make growth feel just slightly less uncomfortable? Mm. And so as we break that S-curve down, there are three uh, phases, right? Uh, There's a launch point, sweet spot, and mastery, and then two stages within each yeah. of those phases. So I want to, starting with the, uh, the launch point phase, I yeah. want to discuss the two stages there, uh, Explorer being the first one. And, and what are some of the questions you suggest we ask in this phase? So what is that, that phase yeah. or, or stage and, and, and what should we be asking ourselves? Yes. So with the launch point phase, as you said, there are three major phases. There's the launch point, there's the sweet spot, and there's mastery. And at the launch point, Um, Your brain is running this predictive model. Many of your 
predictions are inaccurate. Mm. So um, your dopamine is dropping, which gives you the experience of growth being slow. And then in the sweet spot, and I'll get to explore in just a minute, but in the sweet spot, your predictions are increasingly accurate. Mm. Um, and so the dopamine starts to spike because you're getting a lot of emotional upside surprises. So that's the phase that you experience as being fast. And then in mastery, the predictive model is, is quite accurate. And so you're no longer getting very much dopamine and growth has in fact slowed. And so you've got launch point slow, sweet spot, fast, mastery, slow. So slow, fast, and slow. And so I wanted to just give you that basic high level topographical map. Sure. And now we can talk about how you navigate those different parts of the curve. So starting with launch point, as you said, there's the explorer phase. And so what happens in the explorer phase? Sometimes you choose to be on a new S curve and sometimes you are pushed onto a new S curve. And so what you are doing when you are on this S curve island, you are making a decision, you are exploring and saying, do I want, I'm here, but do I want to stay here? And so you're asking yourself a number of questions, um, including things like, do I believe that I can be successful? Is this achievable? Whether it's a, a role, it's a, a you know, the, t- taking up the French horn again, um, uh, a new job, et cetera. Is it familiar yet novel? Is it in line with my values? Is it, um, is it in line with my identity? And does it align with my why? And we can drill down on those, but those are the seven major questions that you want to ask yourself. And if the answers to those questions are, Yes, then what you've done is you've said, I think I want to stay here a little bit longer. I've explored and now I want to move to the next phase of collecting data and deciding, okay, I think I want to be here, but is this a fit? So product market fit. Can I get the resources that I need to move along the curve? So that's Explorer. Um, Any quick questions on that? No, no, you explained it very well. It it piques my curiosity about the next phase. You you mentioned, you know, okay, let's assume you've decided, you know, the S curve merits further exploration. Uh, So we've decided that it does. We're in the collector phase. Now, why is it important as we collect that we uh, do it the way, uh, in your words, the way a child does? So yes, as you said, Explorer decided we want to be here. Now it's time to move. Now it's time to collect. And so the collection phase, exploring like a child does is for a child, they're an S-curve natural. Everything is unfamiliar. So, So everything is for them to discover. And I love this quote from Maria Montessori. She says, the child has a different relationship to her environment from ours. The child absorbs it. The things she sees are not just remembered. They form part of her soul. And so um, there's a story that we tell in the book or I tell in the book of Michaela Ulmer, who's the CEO and founder of Me and the Bees Lemonade. And she's 18 years old at this point. But she, what did she collect? She collected her father's culinary experience. She collected her parents' business coaching. She collected her great-grandmother's heirloom recipe for lemonade. And she was collecting energy. But all of those things that she was collecting, she was curious. She was observant. She was open to learning. And she was open to suggestions. She was open to feedback. And so as you're, you've explored, you want to be here, now you've got to collect all of that data 
some of it's going to be quantitative. Some of it's going to be qualitative. Do I want to continue to be here? But if all of those things start to come together and you realize, yes, I can get the resources that I need to move along this curve, you're building up momentum that's going to allow you to hit that tipping point and move into the sweet spot of the curve. So we've gone from slow, uh, explorer and collector, and now we're ready to pick up the pace a little bit. And that's that sweet spot phase, which again, consists of two stages, accelerator and metamorph. Um, at the accelerator stage, we're, we're motivated to grow and confident we can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do competence and autonomy and relatedness play a role here? Yeah. All right. So as we said, so you've got Explorer, you figure out where you are, Collector is moved. Now Accelerator, you're in this place. And, and I use the, the acronym CAR, and it's it's a little bit of play on the self-determination theory. Yeah. So like you said, you've got competence. So what's the experience that you're having? Why does it feel like you're going so fast? Is that your brain is recognizing that predictive model, it's working more frequently, and you're you're realizing. I am capable of taking on this challenge. So there's this sense of confidence that I can do this. And there's also this autonomy of I'm not doing autonomy, not in the sense of I'm doing this by myself, but there's this internal power to take responsibility. You're making a difference. You're making decisions. You're feeling like I am made to act and not be acted upon. Mm -hmm. So that's the C is competence. A is, is autonomy. And then R is the, the relatedness where you feel connected to the mission of whatever it is you're doing on this broader or grander purpose, but you also feel connected and related to the people around you that you're doing it this with. Sometimes I use the metaphor of the S curve being a mountain. And so there's a sense of you're climbing this mountain with other people. You're doing this together. You feel connected and related to the people around you. And when all of those things are in place, that's a pretty good indicator that you have in fact hitted hitted. <laughs> that's a good indicator that you've hit the accelerator mode. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, you know, this next stage, I, I can't hear the word metamorph or metamorphosis without being taken back to my childhood and my Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk days. <laughs> for some reason, I hear that word and I think Bruce Banner for some reason. But in the metamorph phase, there's a paradox here, right? This actually presents a challenge. Things are working well, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a challenge because why? Yeah, it's it's a challenge. And by the way, I love that you think of superheroes because I think that's how you feel when you're in the metamorph stage yeah. is everything is working. And, and, you know, just like he ripped off that shirt, your identity is now shifting. Mm. Um, and so, as you said, everything is working. Um, you start to become complete. You're also going very fast. And so, in order to continue to go fast, in order to complete this growth cycle, you need to stay focused. You can get derailed very easily. And so, some of the suggestions I would make for you as you're in this stage and want to complete that growth cycle is number one is to stay in the moment. So, you've got the resources that you need, you've got the competence. You also have a lot of opportunities coming your way because you are so competent. And so, you want to be very deliberate 
deliberate about what you're focusing on and what you're paying attention to, and also cultivate the ability to say no to yes. Because at the launch point, you you needed to say yes. You needed to be open to exploring opportunities, to mm. collecting resources. But now in order to complete that cycle, the challenge is slightly different, is the importance of being able to, to say no and to focus on what you're doing. Um, so those are some suggestions that I would make is it this idea of focus in order to fly, focus in order to finish, um, understand that this is the place where you will need to say no, and also stay in the moment of what you're doing. Mm. And so we get to the final phase, mastery. There are two stages here as well, as we said, and the first of these two is the anchor stage. Now, this is time for uh, reflection and celebration, right? We, we slow down here again. Yeah. So like you said, you're coming to this slow place. Um, the boat's coming into the harbor. You've achieved your objective. And so the behavior is now a part of you and you feel the sense of completion. And so there's this moment of pause where you, you reflect, you look at whether it's your career, your job, or even a day, what worked, what didn't. What did you learn? And you also want to celebrate. Um, Celebration is the best way to create a positive feeling that creates habits. And this is based on the work of BJ Fogg. And so when you focus on what you do more, you get more of it. All of this activates your parasympathetic nervous system. I climbed this curve. I did this. And now you believe if I climb this curve, then I can climb another curve. So that's the anchor phase. We, We change by feeling good, not by feeling bad. Exactly. I love Fogg's work. That book, uh, Tiny Habits, was hugely uh, beneficial and impactful for me when I when I read that a couple of years ago. Agreed, and I think and and underrated. I mean, not no, not underrated, under underknown. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's true. I was so enamored with it when it came out. It's so practical. Yeah. That I recommended it to my mastermind groups, and we began reading it as a, as a group as well. That's past year hugely. Hugely beneficial. Well, the last stage then, the mountaineer stage uh, in particular, what are the dangers uh, to look out for uh, in this stage? (laughs) Oh, there are so many dangers. So one is complacency. Um, If you think about it, you get to the top of this mountain and you feel like, okay, I'm here. And what can happen is that you stop paying attention and you start to get complacent. And remember, there's not a lot to see because you think you figured it all out. Growth is slowing down. But right at that moment where you get complacent, that's when you can slip. That's when the plateau can become a precipice. And so we want to be aware you're either growing or you're dying. Now, continuing on with the the metaphor of, of mountaineers. Mountain climbers will tell you that any altitude above 26,000 feet is known as the death zone. So you're so high up, your brain and your body start to die. Mm. It's also true for a person who's at the top of an S curve, because if you stay there too long, you're no longer learning, which means you're no longer forming new neural pathways. Your brain and your body literally start to die. Mm. And so once you get to the top of a mountain, you do want to pause, you do want to celebrate, and then you keep climbing. Powerful. Well, before I jump into some questions that aren't directly related uh, to the book, Whitney, I wanted to ask you, is there anything from the book we haven't talked about that you want to make sure people know? I I wanted to make sure we sort of dipped our toe into the water of each major major Mm -hmm. stage, but anything else you would add that I didn't ask about? Yeah, I think the thing I would add is that growth is our default setting. And I had this experience 
when I was an equity analyst and when I, I had first, I built my stock, built my model, my financial model, and I was about to go public with my very first stock pick. And I was very excited, but the stock was up a lot. And I, I was nervous because what if I put a buy on the stock and it goes down, the stock goes down, my career goes down. So I said to my boss, hey, why don't we do neutral, which means don't buy it, don't sell it. It's not really a recommendation. One of my colleagues calls me a shrinking violet, which I completely own. My boss says something slightly more productive, which is, well, Whitney, it's got momentum. Why wouldn't it keep going up? Mm. And so fortunately, I stopped shrinking. I put the buy on the stock. The stock did go up. Mm. But that question has stayed with me is, do I believe that people can keep going up? It's a deeper question. Mm. And the answer, it's been 20 years, is, is, is definitive. Yes, I believe that we can continue to grow. I do believe that human growth is unbounded and that the more we grow, the more we can grow. So that's, that's the one piece that I would add to all of this is that this really, we are wired to grow. Well, let me ask you uh, about books, this being the Read to Lead podcast after all. Over the course of your career, Whitney, what would you say have been some of the most impactful books that you've read? And I realize that's not necessarily an easy question to answer. <laughs> um, yeah. It, in, in you're asking me this question, I tried to think of of books that put me onto a new S curve that mm. changed and disrupted yeah. my thinking that were, were pivotal. And so I've got a few for you. The first one is In a Different Voice by Carol Gilligan. She's a psychologist. Her book was the first book that caused me to recognize, oh, a woman's way of viewing the world and processing the world is different than mm. a man's. I read it in college and it was very, very impactful for me. Mm. Another book that was impactful for me was The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Not surprising for all the reasons we have just discussed. <laughs> More recently, some books that have influenced me were You Were Born Rich by Bob Proctor, who just passed away recently. Mm. His work was impactful for me because I realized that this idea of disruption and disrupting yourself, I really needed to get even more granular and go to how am I disrupting my mindset. And so that book was very important. Yeah. Um, and then two more, um, Isabel Wilkerson's cast and thinking about how we, you know, we think of caste system in India, but that we have in fact had a caste system in the United States, which was an important book for me mm. to rethink. And then of course there are sacred texts like the Bible and the Book of Mormon, which continually influence my thinking. Mm. Uh, I want to ask you a bit about habits because we do have some time to jump into some of these. It's not necessary that you actually practice these yourself. And so if you want to answer in terms of what you've observed, that's okay too. And so I want to cover this acronym DREAM. I believe that success is defined loosely. I think everybody can say that this is a, a definition of success that applies to them, it is the realization of our biggest dreams and highest mm -hmm. priorities that if we if we realize that then we can we can call ourselves uh, successful and so uh, I want to break that down to habits that I think lend themselves to to reaching those goals and, and the first one is this idea of dancing with discomfort leaning into discomfort riding the wave of discomfort not shunning discomfort but realizing that any pursuit worthwhile is going to involve a certain amount of discomfort in your view how how important is it that we practice leaning into that on, on a regular basis? Imperative. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're growing or we're dying. And yeah. I think, as I said, you know, the, the S-curve model and part of the reason why 
I, I love this model is it, it helps us normalize that experience of being uncomfortable. It normalizes you're at the launch point. You feel overwhelmed, terrified, scared. Of course you are. You're supposed to feel that way. So yes, we need to dance with discomfort. (laughs) When it comes to reading, you're obviously an avid reader. What methods do you use to synthesize what you Mm. read to ensure you put what you read into practice, at least those things that you want to? Number one, I take copious notes. Um, I every book that I have, I underline and I have all this marginalia. So I'm, I'm inter- the book is my friend. I'm interacting with them. Yeah, I journal about the ideas. They oftentimes make their way into newsletters and books, etc. And then I interview people, which mm-hmm. allows me to interact with it more, and then figure out ways to teach what I'm learning. But if I had to distill it even more, the thing that I'm trying to do and I don't always do this, but I'm working toward it is that when I read a book that was very worthwhile, is there one thing that I'm going to do differently as a consequence of having read that book? And maybe how, how does this book, just having read it, impact my thinking? Uh, let me move to energy and, and examining our energy on a regular basis. And by this, I mean, uh, from a 30,000-foot view, looking at what are we involved in that's increasing our energy versus what we might be involved in that's zapping our energy. I believe that managing energy, not time, is, is key to productivity. What, what are some ways that, that you try and do that if you, if you indeed do? I love that you shared that. I remember first coming across that idea with Tony Schwartz, I think mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and was fascinated. And then thinking about Marcus Buckingham talking about strengths and how they clamor for our attention in the most basic way, because using them helps us feel strong. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is to pay attention to what makes me feel strong and then do more of that. The challenge that I'm finding is that there are things that make us feel strong, but because of ego, we sometimes aren't willing to do them. I was just talking to a a CEO the other day who feels strong when he's leading and inspiring, and he doesn't feel strong when he's managing people. Mm. But as a CEO, he feels like he should be managing people. And so I think there's a two-part process here is, pay attention to what makes us feel strong, but then do that inner work to let go of the ego around the things that maybe we think we should be doing that deplete our energy. And then we'll be able to stop doing them. But sometimes there's that intermediate step. Yeah. You mentioned Marcus Buckingham, who I just had the chance to interview for the first time recently. I'd wanted to interview him for a really long time. His work has impacted me going back 15, 20 years. And through my research, I discovered that he and I were born on exactly the same day. No. Same year and same day? Same year and same day. We're exactly the same age. And that day of the year also happens to be the day of the year that your book launched, January the 11th. (laughs) Wow. So you two are twins and and we're now sort of triplets. (laughs) That's that's right. Yeah, it's sort of triplets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me me move to the next one here quickly because I know we're about out of time. Uh, And that's the A in the DREAM acronym, assembling your advisors, sort of this idea of having a personal board of advisors. Uh, What does your experience suggest about the importance of attempting to connect regularly with like-minded people who who are going to encourage and and challenge you? I I think for me, one of the gifts of having that, of of having a business partner, Amy Humble, Mm -hmm. is that I'm continually all day long having someone who's challenging my thinking. Mm -hmm. She thinks very differently than I do. She's a seven on the Enneagram. I'm a one, but Mm -hmm. still we're able to move things forward. I also find doing a podcast does that, right? By reading the books, then interviewing Mm -hmm. a person, 
it's it's a de facto board of advisors because you're continually learning from all the people that you're interviewing. They're mentors. Yeah, they're mentoring you. Uh, last one, master your mornings. Um, any morning rituals that you practice that have been beneficial to making sure that you start the day being able to make the most impact you can? Mm. Number one, get up early. Uh, number two, listen to a sacred text as I'm waking up. So before I'm actually ready to hop out, like listen to something to kind of yeah. go from that sleeping to waking, yeah. write in my journal, set my attention, pray, start working before I um, shower, run one or two miles most days, and then like actually officially at my desk. So that's my routine. Excellent. For Monday through Saturday. Well, I appreciate you opening up about each of those. That was very helpful. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Whitney's book, again, is called Smart Growth. It is, again, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. And it's really helping me as I uh, coach others and, and, and go into companies and do workshops on this very kind of thing. So so thank you for your help there. And thank you for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Jeff. To connect with Whitney online, to find out more about her book and the books she recommended and any other links and resources mentioned in this conversation, you can go to the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 423 for episode 423. Remember this link as well, readtoleadpodcast.com slash cohort. If you want to be or find out if there are any seats left for my note-taking mastery cohort happening during the months of June and July. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash cohort, C-O-H-O-R-T. In the coming weeks, we'll be chatting with Roger Martin, making his second appearance on the podcast. Also, Barry Nailbuff in a couple of weeks. And next week, it's Ranjay Gulati. And we'll be diving into his book, Deep Purpose. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 